0: What would it be like to actually meet God? Have you ever wondered? To so actually stand in God's presence. Let's say you knew for sure in three days' time, you were going to meet with God. What would that be like? Well, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. And you'll find that in the Church Bibles on page 76. 76. Page 76, Exodus chapter 19. Let's just take like a brief moment to ask that God would speak to us through his word. Father, we thank you that you are the same glorious, holy God that we read of in your word So help us now, as we read, to glimpse your glory, to experience afresh your holiness, and that you would shape us and conform us to be a holy people in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Exodus 19, verse 1. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words of the Lord that the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not go up the mountain or touch the foot of it Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. He shall surely be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on him. Whether man or animal, he shall not be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds, a long blast, may they go up to the mountain. After Moses had gone down the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently and the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of the Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain So Moses went up and the Lord said to him go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish even the priests who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them Moses said to the Lord the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you you yourself warned us put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy the Lord replied go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. This is God's word. I wonder, have you ever wondered what it would be like to, um, well, to sit there and go, I wonder what it's like to be, to, to be married to that person. I I don't want you married people to think about that. I I want you just to sit there and think how great it is to be married to the person that you're you're with. But if you're single, I wonder, you probably at times go around and think, I wonder what would like to marry to that person? Uh, Maybe you're dreaming of the unattainable. Maybe it's the Christine Stewart or Angelina Jolie that you're thinking about. Or maybe it's Robert Patterson or Brad Pitt who you'll almost certainly never meet. Or maybe it's someone at college or someone at work. Well, today we're going to consider marriage preparation class with the most unattainable person of all, God himself. And uh, if we've come to church today with a view of God that is merely sort of God as Abba Father or Jesus my best friend or Holy Spirit my helper on tap, then this is a challenging section that we need to get into our minds. The Israelites had had the most stunning engagement story with God up to this point. Stepping back and looking at the whole book, the book of Exodus is really divided into three sections. And chapters 1 to 18 really tells us about the God who delivers. And the middle section that we begin today tells us about the God who demands. And then the final section from chapter 25 to the end of 40 tells us about the God who dwells. And, and so this, this morning, as we've worked our way through Exodus, we come to a, a, a critical point, a change in the book, in the narrative. And it's hinted there at the beginning of chapter 19. They mark the closure of the first section, and they start this middle section of the book. In the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai, and after they set up from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. The mountain. Now what mountain are we talking about? We're talking about the mountain. We know which mountain this is. Turn back to chapter 3. Keep your finger in 18. Turn back to Exodus chapter 3. Verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. This was the mountain upon which... God commissioned Moses to go down to Egypt and to confront Pharaoh. And do you remember, Moses, Moses just blustered. He, he kept giving all the reasons why he couldn't go. You've got the wrong person, God. And then God gives him this amazing uh, sign. It's there in verse 12 of chapter 3. 3 verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt... You will worship God on this mountain. So turn back to Exodus 19. Here we are. Uh, the first part of the book has been accomplished. Without doubt, God sent Moses. Without doubt, God was with Moses and his people. Three months on from the point where God challenged Moses The false gods of Egypt and triumphed over Pharaoh and redeemed the people out. There they were at the mountain. In chapter 6, God laid out what was going to happen I am the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. And then in 6, verse 7, he says this I will take you as my own people. And I'll be your God. And then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. In the old um, English prayer book, uh, Marriage Service, there's a point where it says, where you say to each person, "Will will you take this man to be your lawful wedded husband? Will you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? Well, this is what God says. I will take you as my people. And I will be your God. This middle section of Exodus is in fact sort of the marriage ceremony between God and his people. Here as they gather around Mount Sinai, they are formally beginning a covenant relationship with God. And it's as if Moses is the marriage broker. He's the mediator, the go-between, the one uh, through whom both parties communicate. Three times in this chapter alone, Moses climbs up and down this mountain mountain passing messages between God and the people and it corresponds with my three points this morning now when you think about this how old was Moses about 80 Moses is walking up and down this mountain at least three times in this chapter now that's impressive so keep your exercise up the first ascent centers on God's call to obedience. Have a look at the central verse of this section. Verse 5 of chapter 19. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Here's the very clear expectation and call of God. It is obedience. Obedience. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant. But what we must see today, it's so important, is the context of this call. Verse 4 comes before verse 5. I know important things like that because I went to theological college. Verse 4 comes before verse 5. Did you notice that? It's stunning. But look back at verse 3 and 4 because it tells us, before before we go to what God wants them to do, God reminds his people about what he has already done. This is so important we see this. Look at verse 3. This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God reminds them of the past that they are people saved by God. All of God's grace. I mean what have they contributed in the in the first sort of eighteen chapters of the book? Pretty much just complaining. That's pretty much what they've added to the piece. God, out of his grace, has done this amazing thing. Out of his covenant promises, he swept into Egypt. He, he conquered the gods of Egypt and he delivered them out, out of bondage of slavery and he has cared for them, protected them, provided for them in the desert and brought them to himself. This is what God has done. Uh, if you like war movies, you know that there's often a, an incredible moment of elation if there's some troops trapped on the ground and they're pinned by enemy fire and in the helicopter comes over the horizon. And they oh, we're saved. Well, this is what the Lord has done. The Lord had come in like an eagle and grabbed them and swept them up and carried them to himself. They were safe. God had brought them to himself. Their salvation had been accomplished by God. Now this is what they needed to remember. Remember what God has done. Now we sit here as Christians. We don't look back to that exodus event so much as we look back to our own exodus event of what Jesus Christ did for us in his life and death and resurrection. You see, we are Christians first and foremost because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. That's always what we've got to remember. This is the right order of relationship with God. It begins with God's grace, God's activity, God and His sovereignty coming to save and rescue us, which He did in the Lord Jesus Christ. Deliverance precedes these demands. uh, The liberty uh, before the laws. Uh, The Christian life is lived out of a context of grace. But the principle is also clear throughout Scripture, including here, that people who have experienced God's salvation and freedom are called to enjoy that freedom in obedience to God's command. We're called to enjoy this new liberty in obedience to God's command. So we've got what the Lord has done in verse 4 and then we come to verse 5 about what the Lord requires. Now if you obey. As God saved, redeemed people we are now called to live obedient lives. What God is teaching here is that obedience is necessary if we want to enjoy the blessings and the privileges of being the people of God. Obedience is key if we want to enjoy the blessings and the privileges of being the people of God. Now, think about this. We know this in life, don't we? Think about marriage. Two people make incredible promises to unite their lives together, to love and serve each other. But we all know that not everyone enters into the full experience of joy in their marriage or his or her marriage. Not all the time, anyway. Some couples struggle in their marriage. Others have great joy and contentment in their marriage. And most marriages go through periods of both. That's the truth, isn't it? What God says here is that if we want to enter into the full experience of enjoying our relationship with him, then it depends on the degree of our obedience. Or think about the experience of driving a car. Uh, Do you remember the excitement of getting that driving license? passing that driving exam, getting that little piece of paper. And uh, if you had the money or kind parents, you could then get into a battered old second-hand car. And if there's a full tank in it, you have the full freedom of the roads, don't you? You can go wherever that little petrol tank can take you. Anywhere in the UK, as long as you obey the rules of the road. If you persistently disobey the rules of the road, as some of us know, apparently in this meeting today, points can accrue and eventually the license can be removed and that freedom is gone. So to enjoy the blessings of relationship with God, there was a condition for them to meet and it was one of obedience. Now before we look at the privileges, that we, we just need to be clear, sighted here, and see that there is a conditional element. If you obey me, fully i think we have to be completely honest and say that no israelite truly kept that condition until jesus christ came into the world perfect covenant keeping was what god required for them to enjoy this experience of salvation fully and this perfect obedience is one that god's people could not and did not meet because of their sin the israelites never fulfilled this covenant obligation and while they look forward to, uh, they, they, they kept looking forward to maybe a savior that would rescue them from their sin problem. We look back and see that Jesus Christ, the one who perfectly obeyed the covenant, is the savior who could fully keep God's covenant. As Hebrews nine fifteen says, for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. All the Old Testament forward from Sinai onwards, they were aware of their failure. They were looking forward to one who could fully obey and it came in Christ. And through his death, we can be forgiven for all the sins of breaking these commandments that we're going to go on and explore in the coming weeks. You see, God's covenant to us, the new covenant, is only unconditional to us by faith in Jesus Christ. It is because Jesus fully fulfills this covenant obligation for us. That as we trust Christ, that these verses become ours. Now what are the privileges of being part of the people of God that are now ours in Christ? Well, it's better than driving a car, isn't it? Look at verse 5 again. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Why did God do all this deliverance stuff out of Egypt? It was to bring them into relationship with him see, the greatest privilege as Christians is that we can know God and be known by Him. It's incredible what God says here about His people. You know, God owns the whole universe. He owns not just our solar system and our little galaxy, but the billions of galaxies out there. But if we were to be able to just ask God um, what was His most favorite thing of all, what is it that He treasures the most? Well, He would sort of say, well, I have to tell you, it's... um, it's those Christians at Charlotte Chapel. Because we are part of the people of God. God says, out of all the universe, these are my treasured possessions. My people who trust the Lord Jesus. You know, if, if God had a wallet and there were some photographs in there of the family and, oh, you've got to see, look, here's pictures, look at them, here's the, here they are, these are my treasured possessions redeemed by the precious blood of his son. Now compared to anything that you could achieve by your own uh, efforts, whether it's awards or titles or political office, you'll never be able to achieve a more privileged position than this, to be part of God's most treasured possession, to be part of his church. Turn with me to uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Keep your finger in excess. We're going to come back there. 1 Peter chapter 2, that's page 1,000. Now listen to how the Apostle Peter takes up the very words of Exodus 19 written specifically to the Israelites and then applies them to the Christian church in verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2 right hand column if you've got church bible but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood a holy nation a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light once you were not a people but now you are the people of God once you had not received mercy but now you have received mercy so, what we have here in Exodus 19 is just an early picture, a promise of uh, who we are in Christ. Verse 4 a people of grace, a people who have experienced the grace of God, a people of privilege in verse 5, treasured possessions, and a people of purpose in verse 6. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, what did Old Testament priests used to do? Well, they, they used to represent God to the people, and they used to represent the people to God, in essence. And as Christians, and as a Christian church, our purpose is to, is to really be mediators, as it were, that bring God to the world and the world to God as we point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Christians, uh, as a church, we're called to be a holy people. See, as we live our lives to please God and obey His commands, uh, we live and speak and think differently to the world around us that ignores and rejects God. And God's purpose is that the way that we live, the way that we love, the way that we care, the way that we speak, the way that we relate together as a a church, is the means by which the world can come to know God. How can people come to know God in Edinburgh? It is by coming and being around us, the people of God, here, and seeing the way that we speak and act and live and point to Christ. It is as we live Uh, saved lives in community. Do you see that? You come to Christ as an individual, but God's purposes are always for us to be in community towards the world because we are to be a kingdom of priests. We are to be a holy nation. It is as we relate and and, and work together and live together that uh, God's glory is seen to the world. Now what does it mean to be a holy Christian? Well, look at verse 8 of chapter 19. Their first response is very encouraging. We will do everything the Lord has said. We'll do everything the Lord has said. Now, I'm going to underline this because I think sometimes we retreat from stressing obedience because we think it's legalism. Now, legalism is saying uh, we obey God and, and, and make ourselves worthy of God and then He saves us. That's legalism, that's, that's rubbish. We're saved by grace. But having been saved by grace, we're a people who are going to grow in daily obedience to him. What's our profession as Christians? Jesus Christ is Lord. Now that's supremely a statement that we will submit our lives under King Jesus. We will will pay attention to what he says and we will live our lives in obedience to Christ because Jesus Christ is Lord. God calls us to live obedient lives in the light of his grace because of his tender mercies, to offer our bodies as as living sacrifices to him. It it is the way that we will shine out the knowledge of God to a dark world. We will do everything the Lord has said, they said. It's not just knowledge. It's not about knowing stuff alone. It is knowledge that turns into day-by-day obedience. And we're going to see as we read through Exodus that God's ten words get fleshed out in all sorts of practicalities in every sort of area of their life. And he's living out that holy life together in a community that the glory of God is displayed to the world. So after the call of obedience, let's look at the call to holiness in verses 8 to 5. As if we're a people who meet with a holy God. And this is the second climb of Moses up the mountain where God says in verse 9, The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Now the only reason we can have a relationship with God is because he's a speaking God. By allowing the people to hear God and Moses having a conversation, they would know that they could trust Moses. That he's the one who really was the spokesman for God. That he was faithfully passing on God's words. And because Moses and the prophets and the apostles of of, of Jesus uh, have heard the speaking God and recorded that revelation in the Bible, then we too can draw near to God as we come to his words, as we read his word, as we talk to him in prayer, we are actually drawing near to the living God, and we need to be people who meet with God if we 're going to live holy and obedient lives. The truth is is that the people that you hang out with the most are the people that you end up sounding like. Have you noticed that? Um, a few of us went through to a conference uh, in, in glasgow this wasn't in my notes this is dangerous isn't it we it, it, in glasgow and it was a really good conference at the tron uh, but some people when they stood up from the way they talked you could tell they went to a very nice school in england you could just tell you have to pay good money for an accent like that see the the people that you hang out with you end up talking like and thinking like you Your attitudes, your behaviors is conformed to those you're around. Now, my friends, we will never be a holy, obedient people unless we give time to hear God and speak to God, to spend time with God. If I fill my time with listening to the TV, watching movies, reading trashy but enjoyable novels, then I guess my speech and my thoughts and my attitudes will be more and more conformed to to Hollywood and blockbusters, won't it? We will never be the holy, obedient people he calls us to be unless we actually give time to hearing God's word and responding in prayer and responding in obedience. What's clear as you read this, this chapter is that meeting with God is a big deal. Wasn't that clear? It is a very big deal to meet with God. In Hebrews 12 verse 14, It says this make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy, because without holiness no one will see the Lord. And here we have two very special days preparing to meet with God. Verse 10 God tells Moses they need to be a consecrated people, they need to be cleansed, their clothes needed to be clean to meet with God. Do you know? I was in here yesterday, there was a wedding. It wasn't hard to spot the bride. She was wearing the white dress. And they are to clean their clothes, to prepare themselves, to consecrate themselves for meeting with God. And in verses 12 to 13, we have these restrictions made on the access to the mountain, uh, which seemed to be made holy by the very presence of God. They weren't allowed to approach the mountain until God called them to come with a trumpet sound. And can you imagine how difficult those days were with little children? Where's little Joshua gone? He's not gone near the mountain. Is he quick? Imagine the panic. And the dad's going, where are the goats? We need those goats. Don't let them go near the mountain. And as for refraining uh, from sex in verse 15, it's not that sex in marriage is dirty or unholy. Uh, It's God's creation from before the fall. And yet, God says, this most intimate, most precious of human relationships needs to be set aside for a moment because there is a more significant relationship. Prepare yourself to meet with God. A holy nation is called to display and show holiness in their thoughts and their bodies and their wills. And um, if we kept reading on 1 Peter 2, it goes on to say this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. So two big days of preparation for the big day of meeting with God. And as verse 16 says, the morning of the third day was a day they would never forget. And thirdly this morning, to look at the fearsome holiness of God. Now can you imagine the sight that met them that morning? I mean, they probably woke up in their tents and the ground was shaking. It was a day of trembling Verse 16, On that morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace. The whole mountain trembled violently. How terrifying can you imagine this a mountain in this sort of state when God comes to his creation his creation his mighty mountains immovable mountains shake here is the here is the awesome fearsome holiness of God and do you know what this God is just the same today this is the same holy God that we approach There was the fire at the burning bush and now that fire has engulfed the whole mountain. The whole thing is engulfed with smoke. And verse 19, the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Then Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses up to the top of the mountain. And so Moses went up. Now as you read this chapter, this next section is so surprising can you imagine moses he's been up and down the mountain once twice well this is the second time up now isn't it he goes up he gets to the top it's a long walk he's 80 years old he gets to the top and then god says in verse 21 go down go down Warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Now this seemed quite unnecessary to Moses. (laughs) He's just catching his breath. Can you imagine (sighs) him? Yes, I'm here, Lord. Go down. (sighs) Verse 23: Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain, set apart as holy. We've done all these preparations, Lord. We've sealed off the mountain, we've consecrated, we've washed our clothes, but God says it's not enough. Verse 24, go down and bring Aaron up with you, but the priests and the people must not force their way through to them uh, to come to the Lord, or he will break out against them. Now what is this about? Alec Matir in his commentary has helped me hugely in this series and helped me here too. He says this, we are being confronted here with the absolute holiness of God. That's what we're seeing here. Their holiness is not God's holiness. They need a warning. The holiness of, uh, uh, of God is such that no human self-preparation can ever satisfy that holiness. They might think that they've done all this effort, um, all this preparation to make themselves acceptable before God, but it doesn't. God can only be approached on his terms. And even the priests, there are no special privileged ministers here who have a different set of rules to the rest. Even they are warned not to come close. We sinful human beings cannot make ourselves fit before a holy God. That's what this narrative is about. That's why poor Moses has to go back down again. No, they're not fit. God has brought them to himself, but they are not fit. Even with all their preparations, they're not fit for a holy God. But you see, God's. We need to see God's perspective on this. We we don't see it with ourselves. Moses doesn't see it. Israel doesn't see it. See, the mistake that we make with God is that we think God's just like us. We're an easygoing, informal people. Well, we imagine an easygoing, informal God, but that's not so. As sinful people, we dare not approach a holy God. It is a dangerous thing. Did you pick that up here? It is very dangerous. Don't even touch the mountain. We need a mediator. We need someone who can go between us and a holy God. And it's not clean clothes we need. We need clean hearts. We don't approach God through Moses, do we? But through Jesus Christ. Listen to Hebrews 10 to see where our confidence comes to to dare to meet with God. Hebrews 10 verse 19 says this, Therefore, brothers since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's how we can enter. By a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It is because Jesus forgives our sins and makes us clean that we can approach the most holy place. It is through grace that we become God's redeemed people. And it's in dependence upon God's grace that we can continue in fellowship with the holy God, And to be an obedient people he's called us to be. A people born out of grace, a people of privilege, the treasured possession of God, a people of purpose to be a kingdom of priests, to be a holy nation. That's what we are, my friends, this morning. If we're trusting Christ, we are part of this holy nation, a royal priesthood, to declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness and into His wonderful life and to so live our lives amongst those who don't know Christ that they will end up glorifying God. That's who we are. That's what an awesome holy God we have and that out of grace is who we are. What an amazing privilege is us to be God's treasured people living for his glory. Let's pray. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm to a trumpet blast to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded if even an animal touches the mountain it must be stoned the sight was so terrifying that Moses said I am trembling with fear but you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem the city of the living God Sovereign God, we thank you for your grace to us in Christ. Oh Lord, you are holy beyond our comprehension. Oh Lord, we ask that you continue to shape us and mold us, that we may be a holy people to declare your praises in this city, that others may come to know you and find their joy in you. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.